Chapter 5 As They Went by B. Fay Mills It came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. Luke seventeen eleven through 14 The priests were the health officers, and these lepers had no right to go to the priests until they knew they were well. And they knew they were not well. But it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Luke 17, verse 14 Jesus taught his disciples in three ways, sometimes by direct instruction, sometimes by relating a parable, and sometimes by making use of an illustration, frequently taken from some present object or event. In connection with the practical teaching of the healing of the lepers, he made use of all three of these methods. The disciples had said to Jesus, Increase our faith. In response, he had said to them, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say to this sycamore tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Luke 17, verses 5 through 6. Then he told them the parable about the man having a servant, plowing or feeding cattle, and said, Which of you, having a servant, plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by when he has come from the field, Go and sit down to meat? and would not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant, because he did the things that were commanded of him? My trow not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Luke 17, verses 7 through 10. This was the answer that he gave to them when they said, Increase our faith. It meant practically, Do the next thing that you should do, in a humble spirit. Then there came this practical and better illustration of the doctrine in the cleansing of the ten lepers. I want to make the method of God so plain and simple that no one will be able to rise up at the judgment day and say that he was in this meeting and did not learn how he could inherit eternal life. No. I do not have to make it simple. I want to make it as God has made it. I want to tell it as God has told it. I want to strip it of all that men have put around it that has disguised its form. The marvelous simplicity of the way by which people may lay hold of eternal life. Three things due to God. I believe that God has a right to expect three things of both heathens and Christians no matter whether a person is born in a gutter or in a palace, in the depths of Africa or in the most Christian city on earth, God has a right to expect of him first an honest effort to forsake sin. Second, a sincere desire to know the truth in order to do it. And third, an open confession of his commitment to righteousness. God has a right to expect these three things from every person who ever had a mind and a conscience and doing these three things will lead anybody upon earth into the eternal light and life of God. It is just as simple as that.
As they go, they will be cleansed. Let me analyze this a little. First, an honest effort to forsake sin does not mean to forsake sin that you do not know, but it means to forsake everything that you do know that is sinful. It also means that you will adopt the principle that as you get more light that shows you more uncleanness in the heart, you will also give that up. Second, you will have an honest desire to know the truth in order to do it. I believe that one of the most cursed ambitions that ever stirred a human mind is a selfish desire for knowledge. To desire simply to know may be a devilish thing, but to know in order to do is a godly thing. A passion for knowledge for the sake of character, to live up to all the light that you have so that you may get more light by doing what you should do, to take the step you see before you with what light you have, and when you see another step, to take that, and then the next, and then the next. Is it not also reasonable and necessary to openly confess this intention? None of us liveth to himself. Romans 4, verse 17. We touch the lives around us. Those who are alone are set in families, and people are framed in one great network of society, even in one great organism of society, so that if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is healthful, it will help to impart health to all the rest. Your neighbor, your wife, your child, your business associate, and all the people who know you and look upon you have a right to know that as for you, you intend to do right as far as it will be shown unto you. I never saw anyone who did these three things without coming to a knowledge of sin, to a knowledge of God, to a knowledge of God's salvation, and to peace and light and hope and likeness unto Jesus Christ. Theoretical and Practical There are two ways to investigate a machine. There are two ways to learn about anything. The one way is theoretical, and the other is practical. Some time ago I was in a large carpet factory, and the proprietor, Mr. B, was showing us through the establishment. We went into a room that was a sort of inventor's room, and he said, Here is a machine that I have just invented for making a new kind of carpet. There it was, towering up perhaps ten feet above the floor and as large around as three or four men might reach with their hands touching, and with, I should say, a thousand needles, and a very great number of intricate parts. Mr. B. described it and said, This is this, and that is that, and the other is the other thing. I tried to look wise for a while, but finally broke down and said, You might as well talk Choctaw as to tell me all that. I will take your word that it makes carpet, but I am afraid that I do not have a mechanical mind and I'm sure that I could not understand how that machine can make carpet. He said, If you will stay here twenty-four hours, I will guarantee that you will understand it as well as I do. I said, You do not know the person whom you have undertaken to teach. I am sure there is nothing on earth that could show me how that machine can make carpet, even if I should stand here for the next twenty-four years. Come here, he said, and he took me into another room where he had one of the machines in motion, and I saw it make the carpet. Then I knew that it did it, just as well as I could have uttered all those mysterious words, and I understood everything about every portion of that machine. 
Now there are two ways to know the salvation of Christ. One of them would be just as impossible for you to understand as it would have been for me to understand the explanation given to me about that machine. To know all about God would take an infinite mind, one that could reach into all space and all time and understand all history and all prophecy and all mystery. In order to know all about God, you would have to be God himself. You would have to have more time and a greater brain and a longer development and culture than anyone in the world. It is a theoretical thing that someone could do that, but it is not an attainable or practical thing. However, there is another way to know God. Set the machine in motion and see what it will do. Begin to obey God. Act as though the Word of God means what it says when it says that He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey Him. Hebrews 5 verse 9. Begin to do His will and see if you will not know of the doctrine. As you go, you will be cleansed. Knowledge of Sin and Sorrow for It I believe that such an effort as this will lead to four things. In the first place, it will lead to a knowledge of sin and to sorrow for it. If all of the Bible is profitable for reproof and correction, 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, I believe that practice is even more so, and that anyone who strives to do the will of God will be convicted of sin. I believe that godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 and that godly sorrow comes to us in proportion as we are godly. I have had more pain today for one hasty word that suddenly escaped my lips than I had on account of all the sins in my life while I was an unconverted man. I believe that the nearer we get to God, the more sensitive to sin we become, until the slightest sin will pain us just as the smallest speck will pain the eye if it falls upon it. When Paul was about enlisting in God's service, or shortly afterward, he said that he was not worthy to be called an apostle, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9. Then he said he was less than the least of all saints, Ephesians 3, verse 8. And at the same time he said he was ready to be offered, he also said he was the chief of sinners, 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. Now I do not believe that he was growing more wicked all the time but I think he was realizing more and more what sin meant and was becoming more sensitive to the touch of sin. You might be down in a dark cellar tonight with all sorts of loathsome things around you. The atmosphere might be filled with impurities and some hideous, slimy reptile might come within half an inch of your hand or even your face, and you might not mind it because you did not see what was around you. But as the light came in and you began to realize these things, you would quickly move away from this crawling reptile, and you would try to stamp that loathsome thing out of existence. As the light grew brighter and brighter, at last you would see the very air around you was filled with that which was poisonous and repulsive. It is the same way with someone who sets himself to do the will of God as God shows it to him. Sin seems exceedingly sinful and more and more sinful as he goes on with his diligent and sincere effort to do the will of God. 
I knew of a man who was known as the man who had never wept. No one had ever seen tears upon his face. One night he was deeply convicted of sin in a meeting, and finally, with great trembling, he took hold of the seat in front of him, pulled himself up to a partially erect posture, and asked, Can a man be saved who has never wept? Even as he said it, he let go of the seat, fell back into the pew, and burst into tears. Oh, I believe that tears would come to cheeks that were not used to them if only some would be willing to do the will of God. I knew of a man in the army who was said to be the wickedest man in the regiment. One night he attended the regimental prayer meeting, and he stood up and said very calmly, Comrades, I am going to lead a godly life. The soldiers were surprised because they thought that a wicked man would have to manifest deeper concern about sin in order to get rid of it. He tried it for one day, and then he went to the prayer meeting the next night. This time he had concern enough. He could hardly speak. He said, Comrades, I did not do right when I told you last night that I was going to lead a godly life. I don't know that God can forgive me. I have just received two letters that informed me of the death of two people. One of them was a young man who had just died of delirium tremens from withdrawal of alcohol at my home in New England. The other is a young woman who has died in a place of shame in Washington. I led them both astray. God, can there be mercy for a wretch like me? God did save that man, but until the day of his death, he was never heard to pray without saying, O oh God, help me to do good enough to counterbalance the evil of my past life. Oh, friends, you would have concern enough if only you would openly begin with what light you have to do the will of God. Solution of Doubts There is another thing that would come to you, and that is the solving of every doubt. I believe there is no unbeliever walking in the midst and labyrinth of doubt who would not see a clear road that would shine with light up to the portals of the city of God, if only he would be willing openly to do what God showed him what he wanted him to do. I believe there is no poor wretch sitting now in some loathsome place, bound hand and foot with the chains of some selfish or carnal or covetous vice, who would not find the chains broken and would rise up a free man if only he was willing to do the will of God. There was a man in a New England city who was an unbeliever. He had forty-five young men, I think it was, associated with him in an infidel club of which he was president. Some revival meetings were in progress in that city, and one day the pastor of the church where the meetings were being held met this man on the street and invited him to come to the meetings. The man said, I don't know that I should go, but I am one who professes to believe in morality, and I think these meetings are having a good moral influence on the community. They have my approval so far. I'll tell you what I would like. I would like to see some of my young men go to these meetings. To be honest with you, some of the young men in our society are getting pretty far away from the path they should walk in, and I suppose I am somewhat responsible for them. I would like to have them take any sort of a moral tonic that would fix them up. The minister said, Suppose you invite them to come. 
I am willing to ask them, was the reply. The minister met him the next day and said, Did you ask the young men to come to the meetings? Yes, but none of them would go. Did you tell them you would come yourself? No, I did not. I told them I would not go. If I would go, people would say that there had been a radical change in me. It would cause a great deal of discussion, and my action would be misunderstood. I am sure I should not go. The minister said, I'll tell you what I'll do. If you will go see your young men and tell them that you are going to the meeting, and then let me know how many are coming with you, I'll reserve a block of seats for you. Then when you come and take them, I will tell the people that you have not come to the meeting because you have stopped being an infidel, but because you think that this is a good moral movement, and in that way you are willing to support it. The infidel said, If you do that, I will come. He came, and twenty-six of his young men were with him. They sat down in the block of reserved seats, and, of course, the people all looked at them. The minister rose up and made the statement as he said he would. The meeting went on, and five of those young men were converted that night. The person who seemed happiest over it was this infidel leader. He did not know of anything else that would keep them from their sinful ways, and the weight of responsibility was beginning to press upon him very seriously. The next night the young men were there again, and some others with them, and several others decided for Christ. As the days went by, the man most interested in getting the young men to rise and confess Christ was this infidel. He did not have to worry any more about the young men going to saloons and gambling halls and places of evil repute. He began to be very much relieved, and he seemed very happy when one after another took a stand for Christ. The last night of the meetings came, the people had gone out, and the pastor and one of the deacons were at the front of the church. This man came up and said to the pastor, I have been so busy for the last weeks that I have not had time to take stock of my thoughts at all, and I hardly know where I stand. But if you will see me tomorrow morning at eleven o'clock, I will come to your house and have a conversation with you, to see whether there is any way by which I can renounce my unbelief and become a Christian. The men both smiled, and the agnostic saw what the smile meant. He said, You do not think that I am a Christian, do you? The minister said, If you will go on as you are doing now, you will be one of the best Christians on earth. He never went to talk with the minister about his soul. His doubts all disappeared that night. Every difficulty that had been in his way was removed. He stood up in the next meeting where he had an opportunity and made a confession of Jesus Christ. He gathered his young men into the Sunday school and became the teacher of a large Bible class. As he went, he was cleansed. When Lady Henry Somerset was seeking God, she heard a voice say, My child, if you will act as if I were, you will know that I am. She was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, Acts 26, verse 19, and she came into God's light. I know at least a hundred other examples like these, and I will tell of one more. There was an unbelieving German professor from the University of Berlin who visited London. He was spending part of his time with Dr. R., the rector of one of the English churches. 
Dr. R. did not speak to him on religious topics until he had been there a week and was preparing to leave. One day, after the professor had attended a service in the church and they were together in the vestry, the pastor spoke to him about his spiritual welfare. The professor said, I do not believe certain things about the Christian religion. I do not believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. I do not believe in the inspiration of the Bible or in miracles. I think there may be a God. In fact, I am inclined to think there is a God, but I do not think there is any way by which anyone can get acquainted with him. The pastor said, Professor, would you like to know that there is a God? He replied, Yes, I would, but I do not think God has revealed himself to men. The pastor said, Professor, do you think that if God were kindly disposed toward his creatures, and if there were any way in which he could reveal himself to men, he would do it? The professor said, Yes, I think if he were kindly disposed and were able to do it, that he would, but I do not think that he can. Do you think that he is kindly disposed toward his creatures? I would have to believe that, or he would crush us out of existence, or fill us with continual misery. Professor, if God revealed himself to you, would you be willing to meet the consequences and do what he told you to do if he would show you his will? Yes, if God could do it and would do it, I would do what he showed me. But I do not think that he can. Did you ever ask him? No, I have never felt that that would be consistent. Professor, will you reverently kneel with me here? And after I have prayed, will you say what you can honestly say out of your heart concerning your desire for God to reveal himself to you? Yes, I will. They knelt down, and the minister prayed. Then the professor said, O oh God, if you can hear what I say to you now, and if you can reveal yourself to me, I pledge myself that I will do what you show me you want me to do. They stayed on their knees for half an hour, and then suddenly, without any warning, the professor jumped to his feet and said, I believe in Jesus. I see it all, and it is glorious. It is glorious. He went back to Germany and became as a center of blazing light, illuminating the region round about. As he went, he was cleansed. Removal of Stumbling Blocks then, in the third place, this would lead to the removal of every stumbling block. Great peace have they which love thy law, said the psalmist, and nothing shall offend them. Psalm 119, verse 165. That is, they will have no stumbling block. Consider two things at which people stumble. For instance, consider the excuse that hypocrites in the church are keeping them out of it. I do not believe it is true that any hypocrite is keeping anyone who honestly wants to know God out of the Church of Christ. But whether that is so or not, you can get over that difficulty. Begin to lead a godly life, and you will have all that you can do to take care of yourself. You will not be concerned about the hypocrites in the Church except to help them to become pure and righteous. There is no hypocrite in my way, all the distance from the place where I stand up to the time when I will stand before God in the glory of his eternal kingdom. There is not a hypocrite in the way of anyone who determines to do the will of God. 
and wants to be like the Son of God who was manifested upon earth, the hypocrites are all going the other way. There are some people who say honestly that they are afraid they will not hold out. They say, Suppose I would try it. What guarantee do I have that I will succeed? If you are in Mr. Moody's home and ask him about a certain clock on the wall in the dining room, he would probably tell you a story. This clock was given to him by a lady in London who came to one of Mr. Moody's meetings. She was very angry at some of the things he said. She came back the next night, however, and was even angrier. She came back the next night, and her anger began to vanish. The night after that she was also there, and she became deeply convicted of sin. The next night she was in the inquiry meeting, and she came night after night until one night she said to Mr. Moody, I realize that I am a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but I believe that I cannot be a Christian. Whether it is my sin or what it is, I do not know, but I do believe that if I began to be a Christian, I could never hold out. Mr. Moody tried every way he could to get her to decide to try, but he failed until he thought of that old story about the pendulum. On the first day of January, the pendulum began to count up what it had to do. It had to tick so many ticks in a minute, and there were so many minutes in an hour and so many hours in a day and so many days in a year, and it would likely have to keep on ticking for so many years. When it found out the millions of times it would have to tick, it said, It's of no use. I will stop right now. Then this thought occurred to the pendulum. It is only one tick at a time. So it began to tick, and it ticked the next tick, and the next, and the next, and it is still ticking. This lady said to Mr. Moody, I will tick the first tick now and she is still ticking for Christ. She gave that clock to Mr. Moody. She is now one of the most earnest Christians in the city of London. She asked him if anyone would refer to that clock to tell them the story, that it is only a tick at a time. Blessed be God, it is as simple as that. As they went, they were cleansed. Luke 17, verse 14. Assurance now there is one thing more. Such a determined and sincere effort will lead to knowledge, assurance, confidence, peace, and joy. Here are two men, John and James. John is a fine boy. He is very industrious, very studious, and very happy. James is a miserable, contemptible loafer, and he thinks, I wonder if I can be as happy as John. I am miserable all the time. But there is John. He works twice as hard as I do, and he's happy all the time. I will see if I can be happy. I will imitate John. He notices that John gets up at six o'clock in the morning and chops a lot of kindling for his mother. Then he brings in the water and helps her in other ways, spends some time studying, then goes off to school and applies himself to his lessons and recites them well. So the next morning James gets up at six o'clock. It is pretty difficult for him. He rubs his eyes, gets dressed, and then goes down and splits the wood. He finds that even more difficult. 
Then he goes off to school and tries to learn his lessons, but he finally falls asleep, and the teacher wakes him up in a way that is not pleasant. He says, It is no use. I'm different from John. I cannot do this sort of thing. I cannot be happy, no matter how I try. Suppose, though, that he tried it differently. Suppose he said, I am a miserable, contemptible loafer. There is my good, industrious brother, and I am going to be good. Suppose he attempts to do right, not because he wants to be happy, but because he wants to be good. He will find pretty soon that the same flow of satisfaction that John has will break out over him, and as he goes, he will be filled with peace. It is the same way in the service of God. Do not try to be happy while you are spiritually sick. Get well. Do not try and see how happy you can be while the disease stays around you, but get rid of the disease, and know the joy of a strong, well man or woman in Jesus Christ. As you go, you will be cleansed. A man in this country who won a multitude of souls to Christ, when he first confessed Christ, was in utter darkness, and he stayed that way for three weeks. Yet all that time he was attempting to do the will of God and was openly confessing him. The pastor invited those who wanted to join the church to meet the committee, and when the committee met, this man appeared before them and said, Gentlemen, it is as black as night. It is dark in me and dark all around me, but I have set myself to do the will of God. They said to him, Suppose it stays dark. What are you going to do? He replied, I'm going to do the best I can in serving Christ. They said to him, Come into the church. The very second that he was baptized, as he came up from the water, the light of God broke in upon his soul. I believe he would have died in the darkness unless he had been willing to obey this command of Christ. As he went, he was cleansed. I remember one afternoon in Newark, New Jersey, when I was preaching in a church that was completely filled. As I began the sermon, a lady came in with a drunken man whom she had found on the street. She brought him down the aisle, looking this way and that to find a seat, but there was no place where they could sit down until they came to the platform. There were some steps right in front of the pulpit, and they sat down there. During the sermon I saw that the man was weeping and the very second I asked, Is there anyone here who wants to be free from sin? He rose up and said, I do, I do. After the meeting was over, my associate, Mr. Greenwood, took him into another room and kneeled down with him. The man said, Lord, I give myself to you. Oh God, if you ever saved anybody, save me. He came out into the other room and said to me, Mr. Mills, I have done the best I can. I have given myself to God, I am the weakest and most sinful man on earth, but I do believe God is going to save me. I said, Hallelujah, I believe it too. I told the people about it in the sermon the next afternoon as an illustration, and I said, I do not see that man here today, but I believe God has saved him. As I said it, a man raised up his hand in the audience, and then I saw it was this same man. It was no wonder that I did not know him, Christ was manifest in his face where he had not been the day before. I said, Stand up, my brother. He stood up, and a beautiful blush came over his face. 
He looked like a nobleman, and I said, Do you want to say a word? He said, Yesterday I was a wreck, and today I am a man. As he went, he was cleansed. Final Application Now for the final application. First of all, I speak to Christians. If you are not right in your experience, you are wrong in your life. If the Bible is a dull, dead book to you, if you do not know what it means to have God's peace, if you do not have strength and temptation, if you do not have power to win people to Christ, you are wrong in your life. If you fulfilled the conditions, you would be cleansed. If you are not cleansed, it is because you have not obeyed the plain voice of God. Oh, my brother, my sister, will you begin to obey God now? Give Him the last thing. As you do, you will be cleansed. To you who have said that the Christian way was mysterious, let me say that it is the only simple thing in the world. You have said you could not understand it. You can understand it better than you can understand how you breathe. It is the only thing that you can understand. If you will do the will of God, Jesus says you will know of the doctrine, and he will bring you into everlasting life. In the name of God, whom you and I will meet at the day of separation, I throw down this challenge and ask you to test it. Will you say here, clearly and openly, that you are willing to do the will of God? As you go, you will be cleansed. Someone asked Samuel Taylor Coleridge if he could prove the truth of Christianity, and he said, Yes, try it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 34, verse 8. As you go, you will be cleansed. A young woman left her home to go and see her pastor to ask him to point her to Christ. She was concerned about her sins and salvation. As she stepped on the streetcar, she met three of her closest friends. Something said to her, Do not tell them where you are going. And something else said, Tell them and ask them to go with you. Eventually she went over and sat by them, and they asked her where she was going. She said, Girls, I have made up my mind to be a Christian, and I'm going to see our minister and ask him if he will show me how. I wish you would go with me. They declined to go, and she went alone. She arrived at the minister's house and rang the bell, and she stood there, hesitating a minute. Then she said, Doctor, I started to come to see you to ask you to lead me to Christ, but now that I have come, I want to tell you that I have found Christ. As she went, she was cleansed. Now, reader, are you willing to say that you will make an honest effort to do the will of God? Are you willing to say that as far as you receive the light, you will act up to the light?